0: Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion, challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Valka with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what s leftwebnocom Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, share your favorite episode. And I suggest folks to jot down our information. Once again, we've been punished, (laughs) censored by YouTube, <laughs> and it's always a threat to our channel and podcast, which you can always find us on our podcast. I, I, I mean, you can always find us on our blog um, and have any episode that you would like to look at there. Uh, last week we were censored,
1: I don't know, I don't remember why, yeah. we weren't able um, to post last week. And I think, I actually think it was because we talked about, I believe it was how we talked about 5G and how it affected people you know, so I think that's what got us. Um, But, uh, With Paul Hader. Yeah, exactly. We had one community strike means we're down where we, we can't put up any episodes for a week. The next strike we get, will be down for two weeks. So if you ever see that, like, like Eduardo, you're saying it's not, we, we are pretty good about posting Saturday or Sunday. So if you don't see that, check out web node, uh, you know what, what Eduardo says, and you'll find the episode there. And next time we get hit, we're going down for two weeks unfortunate
0: uh, and check us out as well in the dissident voice where we will have um we will answer some questions from dissident voice and write our uh small um, interview questions there yeah today we'll be discussing um the afghanistan withdrawal of uh, the u.s american troops withdrawal in afghanistan and its significance it's broader meaning as well, maybe, if we um delve into it more further. Uh and I do before I just let Kenny uh start it off, I, I just want to express something <laughs> as a very personal note uh to our audience and to um, just because I'm thinking of the selfish moments for myself on our channel slash podcast, I'm very upset with um, last night I received uh, information that my friend from Chad in Africa um, was rejected and denied uh, denied from receiving a visa uh, to come visit me as I would be financially responsible for him uh, fully wholeheartedly lodging travel expenses being here at my home and everything and He was denied, and I was up all night trying, waiting for him, helping him with interview questions and preparing documents over the past, this this past spring and now entering the summer, and trying to organize as well financial costs and sending him money, and as well as trying to figure out ways to get him here with the proper documentation, filling out all kinds of forms, and still denied i was really upset as i posted on my facebook so i feel as if it's unfair and i'm still reeling inside from it and i just want to take up the space to share that it's unfair as we see the rich the wealthy can go up into space Mm -hmm. and be able to cross all types of borders and there's open borders for the wealthy Mm -hmm. and for the capitalist class but not for workers no and it's it's really upsetting, and maybe I will have him try again, and this time apply for a Mexican visa to my country. As, uh, as that's what I think I'll do.
1: Was he denied by the United States?
0: Uh, he had his interview, his an interview at the U.S. Embassy in Chad.
1: So, do they have to give a reason, or did they can just say no? Yes.
0: Uh, well, they feel as if he wouldn't return back to his country of origin. Ah, uh, whatever.
1: Okay. Has uh, your friend been here before? No. Yes, no. Yeah. Well, Apparently, this new administration is no friendlier to immigrants than the old. Yeah.
0: Thank you for allowing me to express that. Um, Kenny, why don't you take uh, start us off with uh, the topic of today?
2: Yeah, so we're discussing Afghanistan and the withdrawal of the troops or the announcement of withdrawal. Um and you know, it makes me think of uh you know how this administration has framed its um its posture to to the world foreign policy. You know, it's mainly defined by America's back, you know, and and, and what does that mean? Um what what does Afghanistan mean in that context? Um because uh, my understanding is that well one of my concerns, right, like uh, yes they're withdrawing troops or at least verbally committed to that, but uh with these new modalities of war and surveillance, um I don't think the occupation of Afghanistan is gonna end. Uh you know, and obviously under Obama there was a uh massive change or a continued progress towards um uh, the, you know, this drone, droning, surveilling, um, making hell rain from above, above basically. And so, again, what, some of my concerns are that, you know, how how is Afghanistan is still gonna be subjected to the violence that, you know, the U.S. brings on them? How, what role is, um, what, what, what's the end game? Why are the troops pulling out? You know, are they moving troops to another theater, the, potentially the Pacific theater? Um, is it just a factor of, or maybe privatizing, you know, the privatization of war, you know, we know there are essentially mercenaries. I think Lipson, you've used that word, um, you know, private militias, essentially uh, getting paid to protect uh, U- US interests uh, in the region. So occupation essentially is not, the official occupation is ending, but not, you know, all these other mechanisms that are used for maintaining, controlling, hegemony in the region. So um, I don't know, does anyone have any thoughts on the withdrawal and uh, what do you think it means?
0: Well, I, I guess I will start off with a few, just a bit of context. No, I think it's important to understand that Um, We have spoken here um, about Palestina being occupied by Israel and how we are against any sort of occupation. And as I was listening to several podcasts on this uh, mostly leftist uh, podcast, I was listening how the importance of uh, women's rights is highlighted in in order to to justify maybe a transition uh, to be able to uh support the transition of withdrawal and I initially felt almost as if that was my position and I know I said that about Syria just a bit when it was around um the northern um, militants uh who I forget the name right now if I am I first blanking out but uh who are who were opposing who are not necessarily favored or liked by the Turks and who were also uh, helping to fight um, so-called terrorists in you mean, Syria. You mean, the, you mean the Kurds? Yes, thank you, the Kurds. Thank you. Yeah. And we had done an episode, and so I I had then declared and said that I think I may have supported a more um, transition. And now I realize that as I'm looking and seeing history of the Taliban and Afghanistan, uh, I think twenty years hasn't really shown that this U.S. American occupation has worked, and if we stand by being against the occupations of any sort, the inter- international occupation of, Ghana- of Afghanistan has also um, been shown. I mean, been is we're seeing here. But I wanted to start off with uh, the occupation having started with like the Soviet Union back in the seventies, and just seeing how. The rise of the Taliban was in that time because of the the, the trying to fight against that occupation and the detrimental effects of having had the Soviets there for a time. And Afghanistan has been a place of constant um, occupation, constant wars, and constant interventions. And the Middle East seems to be that sort of place. Like a playground for U.S. Americans' greed of oil and all kinds of even like trade and and routes to be able to have, you know, uh, for other like Asian countries. Uh, so I I feel as if uh, that has to be placed into context because when I don't, what? Excuse me. When I when I when the Taliban is criticized or. The the withdrawal is being criticised. We have to take that into consideration, and understand that twenty years has been awfully enough, you know, of a time to show that it isn't working, and I don't think it ever worked. You no, know? and so I remember after nine eleven weeks after 9-11, I was in middle school, I feel, and in 2001, and the, that was what, 20 years ago, 20 years is just not demonstrating that the works. So I, I think that from the Soviet Union up to the Afghanistan war with the US and USA, it is in, clearly enough to show that it has, the Taliban's rise to power hasn't been um, without context. I'll stop there, because I think there's more to it. Maybe. Can you,
1: maybe I'm. Are you saying that the Taliban's rise to power, like is, like you're saying, that well, the strong. Thing however,
0: or- not power like governmental power, but their rise in their force fighting against international forces, or maybe, yeah, um, yeah their force, not world, in internationally recognized power but the guerrilla forces uh against the you know NATO the USA
1: yep. yeah and well i would say that the i would actually say that the war in afghanistan and by extension the war in iraq has worked for the united states um and and i'm going to say that there's only one area it didn't work and that's I
0: was what, speaking not worked for the country, for the Afghans.
1: But it was never, it was never I mean they and again, yes, they posed it in terms of working for Afghanistan, women's rights, the, yeah. And democracy, mm-hmm. yeah. But that's never what it was about. It was about establishing Pax Americana about on the US and the Middle East. And the hope for the US ruling class at that time was that they would go, you know, from Afghanistan to Iraq to Syria, uh, to Libya, to Iran, like they had the axis of evil. Um, and what, what I wanna say that by and large, their project did work in terms of, they were, also, they were able, able to enact the Patriot Act and, and get people here to accept the Patriot Act and even go with the Patriot Act, the idea that we have to do something to stop these terrorists, right? right? And even the left saw Taliban and Al Qaeda as terrorists as opposed to resistance. Because the actual only force which was able to put any give the United States really any problem has not been the U.S. anti-war movement. We we went along with them. In fact, the current U.S. anti-war movement is actually lauding Joe Biden for a for exiting Iraq. I mean, exiting Afghanistan, and he hasn't. So what's the, I mean, it's the two things that Kenny was talking about. They are removing the last two thousand five hundred troops from the region, the formal troops, but they're keeping 18,000 contractors there. A combination of special forces and people mostly coming from DynCorp, from what I heard here. And in addition, it's what Kenny said. Um, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden has spoken of Washington retaining over horizon capability for intervening in Afghanistan, which could include everything from U.S. airstrikes carried out by warplanes flying from the Persian Gulf to drone missile strikes and assassination raids by CIA and special forces. Now, how many special forces do we have in the, in that region? How many CIA agents do we have? We don't know because the U.S. doesn't have to say. So we know they have 18, 000, 18, 000, uh you know mercenaries, private private you know mercenaries. So it, the U.S. is is not leaving. It's a it, the, the U.S. is redeploying now. What are they redeploying to? This is not a peace movement. This is a this act that the U.S. just took is not a, a peace act. It's a war act. Because I am going to say that it's it's directed towards somebody else. And that's what we'll get to, I think, in the in the second part. But the U.S. anti-war movement has bought this whole clock. They're actually congratulating Joe Biden. Oh, well, we, I don't like Joe Biden, but at least he's pulling out. Right? No, he's not. And in fact, there's a hypocrisy here. When, when Trump tried to do the very same thing, Congress wouldn't let him because they said, oh, you haven't taken care of al-Qaeda yet. And they, and they acknowledge they haven't taken care of al-Qaeda or Taliban and let it happen. That's because the establishment wasn't, wasn't going to allow Trump that political victory, that, they, that even Trump. And again, when Trump was moving the troops out, that was not a peace move by Trump. It's, again, it's a war move. And I, we know that. Now, what the war move here, here is, I think, is a little different, a little different. But the target is the same. I think we'll talk about it. as China. Um, but here's, what's, here's what is disgusting about this, particularly with Joe Biden. And people are, are, are lauding Joe Biden because he's saying, look, you know, um, I don't have because the, the press is going crazy about like, oh, look, at the Taliban coming, they're coming in and they're claiming more territory things like that. What are we going to do? And some generals are even saying that. And Joe Biden is being applauded for saying that's not my responsibility. That's not I didn't create that problem. My job is to protect U.S. interests and, and, and our boys and gr- women across the across the pond. Here's what he leaves out. Guess what you did over the last 20 years? It, it, conservative estimate you killed 200,000 Afgan- Afghanistan people. All right. You destroyed that country like whole clock. You created a whole base of like Abu Ghraib's where people were tortured and waterboarded. And that's and that's what the Afghan government now is doing is basically it finds its enemies and and, and, and does torture centers that they were trained by CIA people to do. So you can't say we're going to go into your country, destroy it. We're going to kill 200,000 people at least. And that's the conservative estimate. We're going to create a bunch of, of refugees. We're going to light your country on fire. And then we're going to leave and say, it's not our problem. What are you talking about? This is a, this is a U.S. problem. Now, I think that the, so I will say that they did get what they wanted in terms of the U.S., you know, in terms of U.S. workers essentially going for it because we're, we're applauding Joe Biden for essentially a war move. Um, Now, what I can say is that the U.S. was not able to achieve what it wanted to achieve, and the only reason that it didn't do it was because of the resistance in Afghanistan. And there are other players, Iran, China, Russia, we know they're getting their hands in there as well. Um, But there is resistance in Afghanistan, and and other empires have gone into Afghanistan and lost. and one thing I think was interesting, I'll, I'll probably end up this section on, on this quote, was Colin Powell. And this was in, something interesting he had to say. Um, so Colin Powell, if you remember, is one of the uh, architects that got us into both Afghanistan and Iraq. And uh, General Colin Powell had this, uh, uh, yeah, former Secretary of State and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the decision to leave Afghanistan, this little thing they're doing, was overdue. And he said, "And he said, I wouldn't say enough is enough. I'd say we've done all we can do. What are those troops? What 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 are those troops being told they're they're there for? It's time to bring it to an end. All right? So he like, Well, we throwing up his hands. why well, don't know what to do anymore. We've destroyed the country. Um, we've we've put military bases all around the region. We've now we now encircle Russia and part even have bases projecting towards China now that we didn't have before. Um, but then he does say this, and this is interesting to me." He goes. um, The Soviet Union. He he goes. The Soviet Union did it the same way. He says they got tired. They marched out and back home. How long did anybody remember that? Now, what's interesting about that—that for him, to him, for him to put the U.S. exit from Afghanistan in a similar light as the Soviet Union is that everyone acknowledges the Soviet Union lost in Afghanistan, and that they were defeated. By the resistance, and yes, by the U.S.-backed resistance. Um, and I, it's interesting for me to for Colin Powell to acknowledge that they had a similar fate. Now, in the case of the Soviet Union, it was only going to be several years later before the Soviet Union itself collapsed completely, and that the, the loss in Afghanistan was part of that. I don't foresee this happening in the United States, but I do think what the U.S. is doing um, does suggest. Uh, a kind of loss that they were not able to achieve all their ends, and there are definite concerns that the U.S. has now, um, as they turn, I think, turn their attention from Afghanistan and the war on terror to the war on China and the war on Russia.
2: Yeah, I, I just want to add that, I mean, from my perspective, um, you know, obviously um, they didn't achieve the, their ends, right, in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, or spreading you know, um, the the wings of the US empire across the the region in more countries. Um, however, you know, it wasn't a complete loss. Obviously they were gonna take advantage of it just like they did in Latin America. This was an experimental ground for, you know, warfare, for, you know, uh, tactics and, you know, and, and all this stuff that, you know, doesn't go to waste, you know, it just moves to the next stage, you know, to the next uh, theater uh, of war. Um, which you know, I wonder. You know, what then? You know, are is the modalities of war just changing? You know, or or, or are troops going to be redeployed somewhere else? You know, um, because you know, obviously, droning represents a departure, right? Of of the cost of war, where before you had to send troops, like Vietnam, you know, and so many soldiers and. And now even the American public doesn't really see the cost of war, you know, because you don't have soldiers coming back, you know, dead necessarily, you know, and, and, and so I think that has been one a major achievement of, of, of Afghanistan, you know, to disassociate the you know war from the 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 mind of the you know the public, you know, so so then we get results like, you know, the left like you said lipsen uh, applauding uh, biden for pulling out of uh, afghanistan without you know you know really looking to what's happening who's really paying the price of this um because it ain't over and you know in uh, at least in my mind afghanistan is still subjugated it will continue to be you know um occupied uh, virtually occupied you know uh, from the air and uh you know, through the mercenaries that are going to stay behind. Um, so, yeah, so my point is that it hasn't been a complete waste. You know, they, there is uh, even the privatization, right? Like uh, Halliburton, we heard that, right? Like how they, uh, a lot of the operational activities were privatized into corporations. And that's another way of funneling billions of dollars into trillions, I would say. I don't know how much money it was spent on these 20 years, right? One of the longest, is it longer than Vietnam? I'm not sure.
1: I think it is the longest, the longest war the U.S. has been part of. Um,
2: And, you know, yes, uh, maybe the strategic goals were not all achieved, but a lot of people made money. You know, a lot of people that supported the war, uh, you know, with all the lies are in power now. You know, the Secretary of State, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, I was reading up on this stuff. Um,
1: Anthony Blinken.
2: Oh, yeah. You know pro-war, pro-Iraq, Af- uh, you know, uh, pro-invasion, pro all this stuff, you know, an expert in Middle Eastern affairs, you know. Uh, and you have uh, the other one, uh, Lloyd, uh, the Secretary of Defense, um, you know, another person with expertise and ties to the Middle East. And, you know, and so my suspicion here is that these people are not in these positions of power just because, you know, they have an expertise in in, in that region in particular. Um, what I'm curious about is to explore as to, you know, how then Afghanistan ties to China, right? Uh, it's a little more obvious to me um the, the Russia connection, right, Syria, and, you know, the more um, proxy wars that are being fought in that region. But I'm, I'm curious as to how Afghanistan is then, you know, instrumental to fight China or to be, you know, aggressive towards China.
0: I mean, I, I don't think I could answer that question specifically, but that would be, I don't know. If, Andy, you want to take a shot at yeah. what Kenny is yeah. answering? I, I had something else to say about what Kenny had said, if it's all right. just He talked about um, just the economic aspect of the winning of what there was in what was gained in Afghanistan, which I do believe if we were to delve into that, there was, as you had also pointed out, Andy, there was something gained or achieved. And I was referring more earlier about how it was all a lie in trying to try to frame it as if it was for the Afghan people, which, as I said, it didn't serve the Afghan people at all, you know, and it's not been there for that reason. But to touch on what Kenny had said, you know, I I remember there was, I saw a video, which I can post here, um, from the American Enterprise Institute, where um, Bush had clearly stated that because when they had arrived to Afghanistan, there was the reconstruction of the Ring Road in Afghanistan, which the Soviet Union had already, I think had built, but they had with UN support and many other countries, international occupiers had also built and poured money into it because it wasn't necessarily to provide just the supplies and the military um, infrastructure that was necessary to be able to monitor the Taliban, as that's how it was presented in Afghanistan, but it was to create enterprise. And Bush had clearly stated it in in what I had mentioned in the video of American Enterprise Institute, where it was to promote enterprise, it was to promote business, it was to promote um, the, 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 the market, uh, and the value of Afghanistan to, for for companies and such,
1: where the roads end in Afghanistan, the Taliban begin. In other words, roads promote enterprise. Enterprise provides hope. Hope is what defeats this ideology
0: of darkness. So I I do think that it was a lie, not just to the Afghanistan people, but it was a lie to us, and how uh, the the U.S. Uh, U.S. American war in Afghanistan was sold to us because it was right after Mm 9-11, and it was just weeks after 9-11, where it was said that uh, Osama bin Laden had been there, sheltered, uh, the Al-Qaeda had been there and sheltered um, by the Taliban. And the Taliban at that time had demanded proof to know how exactly was the Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda connected to the 9-11 attacks. And they didn't get that proof from the USA, so it is like well they didn't get the proof so they just faded no and and that's where it was and 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 not to we're not talking about iraq right now but then iraq itself was also another one of those alongside afghanistan and another middle eastern country where it was we're going to iraq <laughs> as another it's all part of the same scheme it's all part 9 11 9 11 you know and it was just uh you're right, Andy, um, to point out the Patriot Act, uh, and I should mention again Barbara Lee, who, if whatever our differences is, was the only Congressperson in all of the Congress politicians, right, that wasn't pointed out that we shouldn't give these emergency powers and just for free for all to be able to, um, uh, president to be able to invade the country for its war that it wanted. So it was these um, oil wars that we had entered that place, and it's clear by um, Bush having said that the the road, Ring Road, was uh, a major influence for enterprise. So I, I just wanted to touch base and add more to what we're talking about. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. But mm-hmm. to your question and what your point was, in your last point, uh, can you maybe, Andy, I don't know if you want to touch base on it.
1: Yeah, I will. But I want to talk about Barbara Lee because Barbara Lee is supporting Patriot Act 2 now. <laughs> so I don't give her any credit. You can't, you can't support. You can't be against Patriot Act One, and then go for Patriot Act Two, which is now essentially yeah. an even more restrictive and even more um, draconian set of laws that bind the entire U.S. population, right? Uh, so that they, they get, and essentially gives the state all sorts of powers to monitor us and surveil us. And so suddenly Barbara Lee is going to be for that. So no, Barbara Lee was a fraud in, back then, and she's a fraud now. Exposes a fraud now because. You can't be against Patriot Act 1 and then be before Patriot Act 2. Um, the, the thing I would say is, why it's really it is worth going back to 9 /11, um, and we've talked about how we are very skeptical of I, well, I'll say for myself, I am very skeptical. like I think this, uh, this, this COVID thing was a pandemic, right? That this was part of a planned thing and they've taken advantage of it and i think there is evidence of it being a bioweapon and that the us had something to gain from seeing something like that now did china also use it i believe they did but that's 9-11 as well and i believe that the the, the bringing down of the two towers was there's an inside job element to it where the us is it's not about uh, osama bin laden it's about saudi arabia it's about israel it's about the united states if you want to if you want to know who the characters are behind the most likely characters behind bringing down those towers that's who it is. And the u, and the, the, the neo-liberal, the neo-conservatives who had put that out had even said we are going in their in their recent security department document, we are going to need a Pearl Harbor like event to make the kinds of to to get people to accept the kinds of changes we're going to need to be make in the U.S.'s military profile. Because remember, there was something called the Vietnam syndrome. You know what the Vietnam syndrome was?
0: No, but what do you mean by That's
1: the want to engage in a war like yeah. again people had the vietnam syndrome was the fact mm. that generations of I people see. since <laughs> vietnam had said we don't we're not sending our troops anywhere again now the us had been doing it grenada all sorts of little mini kind of things but now now the us now they've gotten people over that and now people are expecting regular and major us deployments or med regular or major us violence like just think about what ha- was it even mentioned just recently? You, I, uh, Biden's already bombed Syria twice and Iraq once, just in the time mm-hmm. he's been in, and and not a not a peep. Maybe actually he gets applause from that in the United States. So something has been accomplished here when you can do that. Um, so the the thing to understand is that we have it's twenty years since the the, the bringing down of the two towers, which. Was estimated to kill just slightly over 2,000 to 3,000 people. The US killed at least 200,000 Afghan people in Afghanistan, millions in Iraq, in terms of in in response to that, and have militarized the entire region and and lit it on fire, depleted uranium everywhere, all sorts of things. Um, You know, war crimes, and they have camps in Cuba, camps throughout those countries that are like torture centers. Um, So that was what the US. Was able to accomplish out of what I think was the false flag event of the, the Twin Towers coming down. Um, and now, where are they going? They, they've kind of said it in their National Security Strategy Act. Um, Afghanistan is called the Saudi Arabia of lithium. And do you know what lithium is important for? Tesla, batteries, cars batteries, computers. Mil- uh, computers, F-15s, Anything that requires like a computer, or transistor, you need lithium. Now they have other things, but basically it's it's considered to have a, at least a trillion dollars of reserves in rare earth rare earth metals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's talk, there's also talked of a, of a of a of a pipeline that goes through there, an oil pipeline from the Caspian Sea, and a natural gas pipeline that the U.S. wanted so they could divert divert it from Russia. So that that is something, and I think that's actually been constructed. At least one of them has been constructed. But that is the, if you want to talk about the existing spoils, those are the spoils. And that's what the U.S. is not going to let go of. Um, and that's where China comes into this. And this is what um, what the Wall Street Journal said. And this is what a, a Navy general said, actually. Uh, Wall Street Journal, the American presence in that strategic spot, Afghanistan, provided at least a bit of a check on Iranian aggression and Chinese expansionism. Now, what do you think they are referring to with regards to Chinese expansionism, as it relates to to going into Afghanistan? Mines, Belt and Road Initiative, like that goes straight through there. That's what the plan was for 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 China. Is what they're concerned about is China. Do, do we know here about the Belt and Road Initiative? It's the whole plan for the for China to basically use investment to mm-hmm. get control of countries. It's structural adjustment, but China's version of doing it. And it, and it's going into Africa, it's going to head into South America, it's going through Europe, it's going through the Middle East and Central America, it goes right through Iran. Mm-hmm. And Iran is a central piece in that. So that's what they're worried about, is they're worried about if the U.S. leaves, in the, in the way they're talking about that's why the U.S. can't leave, then China comes through and, and basically cuts all the deals, but the U.S. spills the blood and China gets to cut the deals and get the and, and get the lithium. So that's what they're worried. And here's the other thing. And this was from a this was written by Lieutenant Colonel David Clucky a retired US Army Special Forces officer for a, a, a paper called Naval War College. And he warned this. He goes that withdrawal would give communist China an opportunity to undermine 20 years of US efforts while simultaneously enabling People's Republic of China advisors. And military military forces, strategic access, he means to those resources, and influence in South Asia, a move that would strengthen deterrence against U.S. military intervention in the region. Now, that's a bunch of deterrence against U.S. military intervention in the region. So what he's saying is if we withdraw from Afghanistan, it's going to be harder for us to intervene in that region militarily because we'll have pulled out and China will have put itself in there. And it's going to make it that much harder for us to go in there because we're going to be confronting China in those regions now, once they're there, instead of just these, these tiny little powers that we, can, that we can knock off easily. So they're saying it, they're saying it out in the open that the, the real reason, the real target now is China. And this has also been part of a complete, as part of a general national strategy change that the U.S. has been moving for, And it was happening under Trump. And it's going to continue under Biden. Um, and the last piece, and I, I do want to say something about the national strategy uh, that the U.S. has, because um, I want to read from it eventually. But this is where the G7 meeting that happened in April is important. If you remember, G7 met and they were talking about well, what about NATO, and NATO, and the NATO countries were not ex, were not excited about taking on China, particularly because they're they have financial relationship with China. So I don't think it's an accident that on top of the US 2500 troops leaving we're seeing a whole slew of all the NATO countries leaving from Germany and Belgium and Italy and Spain and Denmark and Czechoslovakia northern macedonia romania all these countries are leaving and i believe that this is this is their way of saying look if you want us to fight china if you want us to help you with china then we got to get out of there and i think the us has agreed to that and so this to me is part of the, the U.S. And this is the big difference between Biden and Trump is Biden has said, okay, yeah, I want to take on China, but I want to build a, build a Western coalition to take China on. And I think this is one of the first steps towards doing that, which is allowing their out, their NATO allies to clear the decks of their, because it hasn't been easy for them to be in there. Um, and, uh, and, and then agreeing to get out of Afghanistan, agreeing more to, uh, to take on a new a new foe and that is russia and china
2: and the european union also went as far as um, placing sanctions on china for the first time since 1989 something like that um because they've had you know decades of uh, economic relations um but they did like symbolic sanctions right but um to kind of fall in line basically with with the what the u.s the, the ask of the u.s essentially um, so I think that's pretty important. Um, you know, despite again, like you said, the deep economic ties. You know, Germany has deep ties with China, and and um, but yeah, there is a, been a switch of the approach of Europe towards China. Um, and um, yeah, that summit was that the summit that happened in um, Alaska. Um, yeah, yeah, that it was very contentious, and the U.S. was trying to be very Moralistic and accusing China, you know, and again this reminds me of uh Joseph Goebbels, uh, the Minister of Propaganda from the Nazis that said that um uh, you want to accuse your enemies of everything you're guilty of. So essentially, um right, the, the recent Europe sanctioned China was on the premise that uh China was committing um uh what, what do you call um they were mistreating the Uyghur, Uyghur yeah, yeah. population, the, uh, the Muslim minority. Yeah. Uh, and how cynical that is, right? When the U.S. is occupying Afghanistan and Iraq and, you know, the, this whole region, you know, destroying Syria, Yemen. Um, yet, you know, that was the premise of allowing Europe to take that stand, um, you know, on the basis of some uh, defending human rights. Uh, the human rights of the Muslim, Muslim minority in China.
1: And remember, all of these NATO countries have blood on their hands in Afghanistan. So all these folks are saying, we're going to teach you a lesson about how to teach, how to treat Muslims. While they're in the very country where 200,000 Muslims have been, well, not, all, not everyone in Afghanistan, but 200,000 people in Afghanistan had been killed and they've built, helped build all these um, torture centers. And Germany is still staying.
0: They'll be Intigent. leaving,
1: but yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's entirely right that it's complete hypocrisy on their part. Um, uh, anyway, Eduardo, I want to see if you have said because I want to. I want well, to.
0: Well, you just more. said some. Well, I guess what I'll pick up from was when you said that um, all these countries teaching Muslims how to be Muslims. I, I suppose that causing for me that brings up the issue of the women's rights being trampled on in by the Taliban as well as by, um, you know, just the new, um, the argument that this will be infringing on women's rights. I suppose that I'd like to explore that a bit because that is the argument on the left. That is, um, even though they support the withdrawal, they're still um, bringing that up as, uh, oh, you know, whatever guilt is is coming up. Uh, How do you all, make of it. I guess for me, I, obviously, I am pro anyone's rights, human rights, women's rights, and I do want to denounce anybody. I don't think it just pertains to the Taliban. I think we have women's rights being infringed upon here and infringed upon in Europe and infringed upon in other countries. So I don't want to just target uh, the Taliban or uh, Afghanistan, as we we're discussing the specific country today.
2: I, I think I think that is intentional, right? That framing, especially to to galvanize the left, to be pro-war basically. Um, you know, to advance this racist, sexist project. That's imperialism. Um, you know, because uh on the one hand, uh like you said, you know, like who the hell are we to tell them how to live, you know, like um, we are imposing our worldview and our values on them. And that's literally where imperialism, one of the mechanisms of imperialism, right? Like, and, and, and then we are the saviors of people. When, when who are they saving? You know, is it that sexist or racist to evaporate people from, you know, by raining, you know, fire from drones? Is that that sexist and, you know, and homophobics and all, and all the isms, you know, like, that is the most brutal, you know, act of discrimination, you know, to, to, to just destroy people. That's so, you know, treat them like they're just a thing. So human collateral damage, you know, out of the, I've heard higher numbers, at least maybe it's in both Afghanistan and, and Iraq, but, you know, like the collateral damage, you know, like, how do we even know the numbers? You know, it's so hard to know because they have a you know they report you know the the, the u s forces and occupying forces they report the the numbers I've actually read the New York Times recently where they were they weren't sure about how many troops were left behind, so that's the kind of reporting that we are getting from you know from the New York Times right that basically they're fed the information but my point is that just by the fact that we're there that is extremely sexist, so we cannot be you know, uh, engage him in, on that subject, you know, having, have an honest discussion about sexism and trying to save people. You know, when we're literally murdering them, you know, for no reason. I mean, they have, there is a reason, but, you know, there is no due process or anything. The rule of law that we so much love and, and, and this brings me up to like again more like the imperial project and how this is weaponized. You know this idea that we're the saviors, the civilizers. This is not new. You know, look at the England. You know, and the white man's burden and all that bullshit. So when Kamala Harris went to Central America, and, and they were reframing another imperial issue of immigration, right? They went. They came to these countries to tell them not to come. You know, they, what they achieved was they were reframed the issues of immigration as an issue of um, human trafficking and as an issue of, you know, humanitarian aid. We've heard this before. This is, you know, it, it, we had an episode on the attack on Chinese uh, workers in Chinese, the Chinese uh, diaspora in the U.S. that came to build the railroads. And they invented the passports in the, in, with the premise of protecting Chinese women. From being trafficked. So this is not new. This tactic of of pretending to for humanity to advance some nefarious shit is not new. You know, we this is as old as imperialism. And, and, and so the US does it with impunity and gets away with it. And not only do they get away with it, but we pretend that we're on the right moral side of history. I
1: mean, Edward, let me see if there's any questions you have about that. I'm just going to give a version of that answer. So,
0: I don't have a question about it. I think is it's Kenny's response or um, in response to what I see and what I hear on KPFA or you know other alternative media about what is happening in Kabul, what is happening in Afghanistan. I'm personally, I, I mean, I agree that it is under those guises that you know wars are created and 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 people do i, I but i also don't want to um, undermine that um, very strict islam and christian and all kinds of sort of ideologies do whether that be in this country or other countries uh, undermine um people's experiences I, it is something that happens uh unfortunately and women's rights are trampled on and you know lgbt rights and it's just um how do you or how does one contend with what is happening and also not try to be an imperialistic reason for why we want to expand our this country's powers onto other infringe and intervene other countries no, So I think it's something the Afghans have to contend with themselves and try to fight. And uh, it's it's a terrible predicament anywhere and not specific to this country.
1: The defeat of the US military and if it was utter defeat of the US military by the Taliban is a step forward for all workers internationally. It's a step forward for all women workers internationally. I want to be clear about that. You're saying the defeat of the Taliban no the the opposite the defeat of the us military by the taliban is a step forward for all workers I see. internationally I see. I see. and all women workers internationally because it's the it's the forces of imperialism and capitalism which drives it which has made the lives of workers and women and muslims and christians so miserable around the globe so that has to be defeated and the only people who took up and were successful in challenging it were these people who have ideas I don't agree with, but they were willing to put their lives on the line to fight, to fight the people that we could not stop from going there. It was our job to stop the U.S. from going in there, and we didn't do it. So those people had to pay the price of that, and they're the ones who died doing it in a, in a completely, uh, like it's estimated maybe 2,000 soldiers died, 200,000 people in Afghanistan, drones, Marriage is bombed. Like it's it's the the unfairness of the of the of the of the attack is is out of proportion. We don't know what kind of would we have the same bravery on our side if we had to face that kind of opponent occupying our country? I can't say I would. So that's where liberation lies, in that kind of bravery to say you're not allowed to stay here. I'm kicking you out. And people can have all sorts, and let's be clear, when the, when the Soviet Union went in the, in the 80s, guess what they justified the going in, how the Soviet Union justified going into Afghanistan?
0: I think we don't, I don't dispute or don't disagree with the reasons I'm just saying, I'm why just asking why these, Do, these guess, are initiated, how, right? Any intervention is initiated. I, I think I've established that and anyone can hear that. I, I've established I that I don't agree that any reasons should be established, should be used in, as reasons to intervene.
1: But they all, but they always make lies. If they can't tell the truth. They can't say of we're course. going there for, for lithium,
0: right? They, I agree. They can't
1: say they can't say we're going yes. there to compete with <laughs> Russia and China,
0: right? And I agree with that. I, I, so they I have
1: am, to tell you the bullshit.
0: Yeah, I personally don't. Um, I'm not necessarily trying to propagate that. I'm simply. I'm saying,
1: but it's not yeah. even a question. Like I'm saying, a step forward for women is defeating an empire, even by for even by people who don't have women's rights in mind, because that is that is actual dem- democracy or the democratic kernel of liberation, which is I'm getting my occupier out of this country. There is something inherently democratic about that, much more democratic than the U.S. imposing its will on those people and then having these votes and purple thumbs and all that kind of stuff. There was no democracy there. It was a complete sham. So the Taliban defeat of the United States has more democracy in it than the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan and putting a, a, a quizzling government in power. And I wanna go back to the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union also said, we're going there to liberate women. This is the Soviet Union, remember, the Soviet Union is calling itself a worker's state. We're going there to, to help workers in Afghanistan with the backward Muslims. And, and then what happens? The U.S. funds the most these, these people, the back the so-called backwards elements, and makes them part of their army to go fight the Soviets. So this country has been a, a, a plaything of imperial powers for generations. And now we can't go around, oh, what about women? Well, our job is to stop our own country. And if we say this, what about women? Well, what about women? And, and let our country get away with that, then we let them do that. Because it's gonna happen again, Eduardo, and it's happening right now. We have, there's, it's democracy versus autocracy. It's the way that the whole war on China is being posed. It's the way the whole war on Russia is being posed. Mm-hmm. They're the autocratic regime. And mm-hmm. our regime, which is actually going to be telling us what we can say in our text messages and saying you're not allowed to put vaccine into your text messages, is calling itself democratic. And it's trying to build the force of democracy, the Germany, Belgium, the ones who destroyed Afghanistan and saying that it's the, those forces of democracy which are going to defeat autocracy, which is Russia and China. And, and then we can say, oh well, what about that? I'll talk. Do, or do you not care about what's happening with the Uyghurs? Do you not care that pe- that workers in China are actually don't have democracy there? They don't. But we have to be able to understand that our government is lying to us to make those wars, and we have to say we have to call bullshit on it and say you never you you are not bringing your bombs and your military to bring democracy anywhere. You are doing it to rain death on people so you can control their resources and strip, strip them of anything democratic. And the most democratic thing that those people can do is defeat you in war, and the most democratic thing we can do is take you down as a government before you can go make war. And frankly, we should have done it well earlier than the so-called insurrection that happened in, what, 2020, with 6,000 people so-called storming the thing. We should have stormed DC a long time ago and taken them out and made this not happen.
0: 2021. Yeah, yeah. 2021.
1: I
2: think that you know that, that again
0: that. I think it's yeah, I mean I, I agree it, it the 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 lies that are being told in the same way that we were lied to just to enter the Middle East and under the nine eleven it was it was uh it was framed in a way for us to enter the the this long US American war and as well as many wars I frame that way to enter wars. I, I don't dispute that, so I, I, I've established that um uh, and it is uh something but i don't think it's um i think it's 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 not it i don't think i i i think it the way it's framed in um liberal uh, progressive media it is uh it can be a distraction to support the withdrawal and to allow the afghan people to decide for themselves what they should do for themselves uh but i think here on what's left i think it's my my response or my bringing up of it is genuine enough to show and demonstrate that any attack on LGBT people or women and anywhere in the world, even by the Christian right, and not just to pick on the Islam, and I've said this before, that it is difficult sometimes to to say on, in leftist circles that we can criticize uh, Islam and still be loving and supportive of our Muslim brothers and sisters, right? But I, I I think sometimes it's it's very highly criticized and to any leftist to criticize, um Islam ideology. ideology. And I criticize it. Also.
2: I but think I think I I would be careful in the sense that I understand this as a project of of deliberate project to to create a, a racist narrative. You know that Muslims, you know, and Islam is that vicious you know and that is a threat to the liberty of women and and you know and i don't think it's just the
0: islam ideology i think it's christian ideology right
2: see like that that frame Mm -hmm. has been used to excuse the brutality of the u.s because the the you know my
0: framing of it kenny or because i'm not a us american imperialist no, no, but, um, but, but person look. trying to advance i mean i've established that i'm just saying is it all right for a person to also be in opposition of uh any religious ideology like myself because it seems to be on the left that you can't sort of oppose any sort of but, but religious ideology and i'm not picking on islam per se i'm picking on christian and i'm saying even Judaism and even um, a lot of Asian uh, sort of sectist, sectarian, religious beliefs. The
2: problem that I have is the falling into that conversation itself is really deviating from the big issue here. The biggest threat to people.
0: Whether <laughs> well, maybe it's not the conversation for this episode, but I don't think it's, it's, it's it, I, I, I don't think I'm trying to deviate Myself, but I mean, if you both think that I'm deviating,
1: it's not. It's just you mentioned that you were struggling. You said you kind of were struggling, and maybe that wasn't you were struggling with. You were torn somehow, you know. And that is the part from the saying,
0: beginning. Yes.
1: Well, I'm just saying. I, I'm saying that there's nothing in my from my vantage point. I'm not going to. I'm not saying what you should believe, Eduardo. I'm just saying I'm not torn about it because I'm for the for the Taliban defeating the U.S. military no. and in Afghanistan. Yes, that's what I I they I want them to win. And that that is that is that is the the future for the possibility of working class revolution, which is the only thing which will bring democracy, because the attack on women and other and 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 workers and uh, immigrants
0: Right, and uh, who is disputing that? So I'm supposed I'm the not, question just, is I, for both of you I may not be able to express that I have disagreements with Islamic ideologies or any Christian ideologies. Is that what you're saying, Andy?
1: Because I don't. It's not about religion. It's about. It's, it, it has well, nothing. To it.
0: Well, it's just a side note. It's a. It's my personal stand okay. on whether is it not something I can say. Is it? Yeah, you, want you want can you say be sensitive around it, it or do you think it's it, a distraction?
1: It, it wasn't for you because it seemed to. It seemed to for you to create an issue where you were like, but can. What do I say to my friends? Who are worried about the Taliban and what they're going to do? To I'll win. tell you
0: where this is coming from. When I talk about my criticisms on religion, and maybe this is because I was growing up as a Jehovah's Witness and I couldn't say anything around, but just anytime I say it, in leftist, especially leftist circles, you know, it's always oh, don't criticize Islam or don't criticize Judaism or don't criticize, you know, and it, it seems to be now that both of you are taking on the, the sort of position. When I talk about this with progressives and liberals it seems I can't even criticize anything about
2: but it is I'm not criticizing your opinion I'm criticizing the fact that this is been designed to deviate from the conversation
0: well, justify- I don't think I'm trying to deviate yeah, the yeah, conversation to
2: justify yeah. you know, a racist agenda a sexist agenda you know a homophobic agenda you know because that's what empire is you know mm-hmm. the biggest, and that's what was my point the biggest threat to the world you know, I'm not afraid of, you know, the uh, Islamic State coming to, you know, conquer me, you know, because I've seen what the U.S. Empire has done to my country where I was born. You know, I've seen the live executions on TV, you know, from, from U.S.-backed dictators. You know, I've seen my family refugees. So I'm not afraid of the Islamic State. And I, I, and I am with, in solidarity with the women who want liberty, of course. But my, my response is not to go civilize some other people. My response is to fight for myself. My response is to create the kind of society that I want over here in a democratic way. And so maybe people will look at it and say, that's better. And they will fight for that. That's my only way to fight and, and show solidarity for people, not to go civilize some people.
1: But it, but it would mean stop getting our troops out of there stopping our troops from being there and not just 2,500 but the 18,000 um what's it called the the mercenaries those have got to go all the bases have to go and until we as a working class have done that we're not doing anything to help any women anywhere under any religion that's our job
2: And, and i have one more point about this whole narrative about the other right this proverbial other you know, that others are always less democratic, others are less civilized, others are less, have less morals, you know, others are less than us, than the imperial center. You know, that narrative advances a lot of shit, it's, it's dehumanizing, and that is the purpose of it. It centralizes us as the way of being, and yeah. that is arrogant. you know, and, and so again, if I'm going to create a society, I have opinions, you know, but I'm going to subject those opinions to the will of the people, and we're going to have to debate. You know, how, what kind of society we're going to shape? You know, but, so, but I will not fall into behind this project that goes civilizing people when in reality what they're doing is the complete opposite.
0: Of course. And I... I, mean, I
2: the other, yeah. This is the last thing I'll say about this, that the, 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 what's useful about creating that narrative of the uncivilized, the scary other, is that it tells us that we have it better. It tells us that we have democracy. It tells us that we have it good. You know, when we're one of the most medicated countries, desperate, you know, livelihoods that we have here, and blah, 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 all that. All that. But it tells us that we have it good. So I, that's why I fight so much about that narrative. And, and again, I have opinions about religion, I do. But I will, I'm a communist, I wanna focus on my community. I'm not gonna go civilize people. So that's why I, I don't give a shit about the Soviet Union. Well, I do the Soviet Union doing their imperial shit going into Afghanistan. And we're going to have to be honest about that shit, too, because that's not socialism. No, that's not the shit that I'm pushing for.
0: Yes. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Both of you sharing your points. I do think that um, my point was missed, and that's all right. Um, but the audience can quite establish my position and they'll figure it out for themselves. I don't yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah. Because it's quite clear what I'm trying to communicate and I don't have to belabor the point.
1: Anything else? Um, I wanna talk about, so what, why this is not a peace move but a war move. And it's, a, it's part of the, the shift in the US national s- defense strategy which it, which actually in 2016, prior to Trump taking power, was talking about how the U.S. was moving from a war on terror to a war that was going to really take on, take deal with China and and um, and Russia and prepare it for that. And that's what we are now seeing: is we are essentially shifting 20 years later from a, a war on terror framework that's going to be used to terrorize workers internally and terrorized workers externally, to what will they're going to be using this global pandemic now as the pretext to blaming China for it, and then talking about their autocracy, the democracy trying to preserve itself in the face of Chinese autocracy, which is trying to spread across the globe, um, and that is going to be the the political framework that's around. Which that the people who the people who are responsible for the pandemic that is China, the Wuhan lab, and they're, them putting it out, and the U.S., which is trying to do its best. Of course, Trump. Screwed it up, but Biden, with vaccines and all that kind of stuff, is trying to do his best to keep people safe and to make make uh, make make it make the world de- democratic for everyone so that you know commerce can go on as 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 normal. That's the frame now that's going to be used. and it's going to mean an escalation of u s war making abroad and it will mean an escalation of of uh, what's it called cracking down internally. and that's what we're seeing. Um, so let me just—I want, I want to read this from the National um, Defense Strategy, and this was actually put out in 2018. But I think it's apropos of what the U.S. is doing now, um, and uh, and I want you to listen particularly to the last section of this, and if when you think about the Fourth Industrial Revolution and some of the themes that we've been talking about, um, because this is 2018. So they said this: the central challenge to U.S. prosperity and security. Is the reemergence of long term strategic competition by what the National Security Strategy classifies as revisionist powers? It is increasingly clear that China and Russia want to shape a world consistent with their authoritarian model, gaining veto authority over nations' economic, diplomatic, and security decisions. For decades, the United States has enjoyed uncontested or dominant superiority in every operating domain. We could generally deploy our forces when we wanted, assemble them where we wanted, and operate how we wanted. Today, every domain is contested, air, land, sea, space, and cyberspace. This is 2018, the, and, and it finishes here. The security environment is also affected by rapid technological advancements and the changing character of war. New technologies including include advanced computing, big data analytics, artificial intelligence, autonomy, robotics, directed energy, hypersonics and biotechnology. The very technologies that ensure we will be able to fight and win the wars of the future. So all of those things that they laid out at the end are the elements that are part of the fourth industrial revolution and part of this pandemic. Big data, biotechnology, robotics. Autonomy means autonomous robotics. Uh, drones that can make decisions about what they, what they destroy. All right, and of course, you know, we might not, directed energy and hypersonics, those are, those are part of, gonna be part of the building the, the, the space war and the, and the militarization of space. Um, but those elements that they're talking about that they must win on to defeat China in this new age, Are exactly the elements that they're having to push to and push on as it relates to the to the to the so-called pandemic. And this, to me, has has to we have to understand that this is a war the U.S. plans to win, and they will make war on us to do it. And they're and that what the this pullout of Afghanistan is nothing more than a redeployment towards preparing for a much bigger war. Um, And we have to stop this, and the only way to stop this is revolution. Um, And I really think it lays out the fact that all this shit we're seeing about, well, remote education, about Amazon getting bigger, and also the centralization of and the synthesis of corporations with the state, all these are about preparing for for war with China, and it's laid out right here. And this is from, you were reading? Uh, It's the 2018 National Defense Strategy thing that the U.S., it was basically written by General Mattis. Mad- Mattis. Yeah. Mm. The yeah, only I thing could... that's different is now is the, they're going by this general strategy is the idea of building a, a Western alliance now in order to see this through. And this is why you see France. do. You know, France is basically saying they're pushing vaccine passports. This is why you see Britain doing it. This is why you see all these countries; they're all on board for this.
2: This is why you also see uh, what it's called vaccine diplomacy. You know, when Kamala Harris went to Guatemala a few weeks ago on her first trip, international trip to Mexico and Mexico and Guatemala to talk about immigration and again the framing of human human trafficking and humanitarian aid. Um, they agreed to give Guatemala a million doses of vaccines, five, the, the American vaccine. You know, and I knew through my family that there was Chin- the Chinese and the Russian vaccine was, there were amounts there too. Uh, and even India has its own, right, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's AstraZeneca, which is the British and Swedish project, European Union project. Um, And and you see actually, if you actually pay attention carefully, how they're wrestling for influence on on who has the better vaccine, who has the most influence. And that to me is kind of like symbolizes the carving out of, you know, influence, Um, you know, sort of the way it happened, you know, in 1800s with Africa, right? How the imperial powers powers, uh, decided who would get what. And so vaccine diplomacy is out there too. It's part of this whole project, you know, as to, um, because that's that's a matter of national security now, right? You know, the virus, uh, who has the, the, the vaccine.
0: It's, it's a war I think um, between these powers. I I think what's scary for me is just the advancement. I think one of the questions that we were answering, right? And, in the Paul Hayther interview questions, was what do we see in 20 years from now? And I really do, as you were reading that, thinking how grim it will be in the future for the advancement and the acceleration of technology that is being deployed out in these countries, as well as the ones that are going to be used for the surveillance of our countries. And if we don't pay attention to this, I think we, unfortunately, because of the popularity of social platforms but this is like a trojan horse for us to be allowed to be surveillanced and by the way Andy i did see your post on how even phones are now being considered this to be used and so it all comes to technology that i'm it seems to be moving very fast yeah and so i yeah i i don't know how we you know, could. Then here we're.
2: Resistant. You know, we are, the U S is framing things as democracy and freedom, right. That's like our biggest slogan, you know, that's what we bring to the world supposedly. But, uh, what's at stake literally for me is that, you know, is dissent and consent two fundamental things from freedom, you know, and, you know, for, for self-determination and, you know, there's very little we are doing really, or, we don't even seem to understand the issue but in large, everyone's committed to advancing the project built through the narratives that they want us to uh, whether it be you know the islamic state and al qaeda or this massive world uh, ending threat which is you know the covid narrative um, which i think will be with us and maybe in the next 20 years i mean if if 9/11 was uh Signal something, you know. It lasted twenty years. Maybe we'll be with this for the next twenty years.
1: But, but not just that. We're going to hear about TikTok and China collecting our data. We're going to hear about um, China going into different countries and trying to uh, push deals that are bad for those countries, and and, and trying to push their their Chinese Communist Party uh, dictator, dictatorial regimes on them. Where and the U.S. has and the U.S. and Europe have to be prepared to help these people um, live democratically. Well, what are we gonna say about that? And what are we gonna say when our country says we have to help? I know what I'm gonna say, which is fuck you. I'm st- the autocracy we gotta deal with is the United States. It is the biggest, autocr- it is the most autocratic, most terroristic government on the planet. And my job is to take my government down. So I don't give a shit about China. I don't, I literally don't care what they do. Because my job is to take on what my government does. And, and, the, and the reason this gets back to the thing is because, oh, well, you don't care what they do to the Uyghurs? Oh, you don't care? Look, we're trying to give vaccines in, in, in South America. You don't care that people are dying of COVID over there? Do you see? They change <laughs> the subject to say, mm-hmm. no, what I care about is actually dealing with the real problem here, which is capitalism and U.S. empire, which is a product of that capitalism and, that, and I'm, a, I'm in the United States. My ruling class is the U.S. ruling class. I, could, I can be put to a war to go against the Chinese working workers or against Russian workers, but that would be against uh, socialist internationalism. My job is to take down my own government. And that is the job of all workers in this country, immigrant or not immigrant. And that is the message we have to do. It is civil war, not imperialist war. Turn, civil, turn imperialist war into, abroad into civil war at home. That is our project. And so we can't be fooled by by this autocracy, even if they're if, yes, the Chinese Communist Party is autocratic. In fact, they are they are running the blueprint for how to control their population that the U.S. is trying to catch up on. We're going to get a social credit system. The U.S., the China already has got it. So it's not and it's not a question of excusing those things. But if I make myself concerned about another, the operations of another ruling class, I'm just playing in to the imperialist hand that my own ruling class is trying to get me caught in, which is we want to go over there and and give and deliver them into freedom because we're a little bit more democratic and we have to call bullshit on that. So it's not about saying, I want to control what you think. I'm just saying, if you go by their narrative, well, all I'll say is if I go by their narrative, if I let them control the narrative, then they're going to control me. Here, look, we and Eduardo, you mentioned that Paul Hader asked us to do a little interview and we talked about what we we're worried about. Like what do we see in the next twenty years? Um and here's what the United States sees. Now, people have to understand that already that and unfortunately when I say this, people are going to think that what I'm speaking of is a Chinese threat but I'm not speaking of a Chinese threat. When I say these things, I'm talking about a threat that centers in the United States. At least for us, we have to understand that. But the Chinese government already has a larger Navy than the United States. The US Navy is about 235 ships, 200, maybe it's 280, and China has about 350. And here's what was written about in the Washington Post when they talked to the US military about their concerns. And this came from the Pentagon. Chinese armed forces not only are acquiring sophisticated new technology and weaponry, but are also overhauling their organizational structures as China aims to complete a military modernization by 2035 and establish a world-class military that can rival or exceed that of the United States by 2049. That's what the Pentagon thinks is happening. Now, let me ask you something. Should we be worried about China or should we be worried about the United States there? I'm saying the, the thing we have to worry about is the United States, because when the United States is saying that, they're saying they can't, that is the United States recognizing that they have an imperial threat to them that threatens their entire control of the globe. They know that we, we currently have a dominance of nuclear weapons. We currently have the better position in space. And the US must project that and must maintain and expand that. And if it can't, it must destroy its enemy. So essentially, we have, if, you, if the Pentagon is right, we essentially have by 2049 to have a revolution in this country, or there will be a global war. Yeah. Because if China gets itself to the point of exceeding U.S. In, in, in military, then, of course, China's got to do what any capitalist, what any self-respecting capitalist power must do, which is crush all its enemies. And the U.S. knows that. So they've got to crush China first. So. I believe that most and I I don't know, maybe you heard it that way, Eduardo, I don't know for you, Kenny. But I believe most people who heard that get worried about what China's about to do. And if, you are, if you're worried about what China's about to do, then you are a sucker falling for it again. You're falling for their narrative. Yes, China is definitely trying to build that military. There's no question about it. China is definitely trying to get big data analytics, biotechnology. They're trying to control all that shit. But that's not our concern. Our concern is what our government is going to do. We have to stop our government from, from doing it. And is the only hope for international revolution, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna make it happen, is taking down our government, having a socialist revolution there and hoping the Chinese workers do the same. That's this- it.
0: I mean, at least I've heard that
2: empires die violent ends. You know, they don't go out without a fight. Um, if that is true, right, that the U.S. Uh, hegemony, supremacy, supremacy in the world is threatened, you know, this country has 800 bases around the world. It has some massive, you know, uh, technologies. Strong, they have enough firepower to destroy the the earth hundred times over, you know, and and engulf the whole world in you know, in you know. A cataclysm of, you know, we can't even imagine, you know. And again, they're they're not. This is not a a, a, a a an Olympic race where you just run against each other. This is a a race for destruction. And you know, the U.S. Uh, is the most. The U.S. ruling class is the most genocidal class the world has ever seen. You know, and, and they've demonstrated their their willingness to use violence not just with the you know uh nuclear bombs that they dropped in japan you know just to project power but with the the everyday violence they sponsor the willingness to just burn people alive you know to use use and deploy um uh, um bio weapons because this is not you know that's why i find this suspicious you know this whole covid thing because the us has done it you know, the U.S. gave weapons, uh, bioweapons to Saddam Hussein, you know, and, and, you know, they emboldened the Taliban, right? Like we talk about in they are on the side of fascism, you know, capitalism, as it decays, its natural course is to become full fledged fascists. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh the biggest threat that anyone in the world faces is the U.S., not not the other.
0: Well, I don't have much to say. I think uh, um, it's a, a bleak future,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: and I do hope you know it's it's a uh, it's something that we have to continue bringing to light. But it isn't something that I, you know, we. I personally feel as if this is something it's an ongoing discussion for how we will be able to fight really strong technology in any country. And right now we're in this country. And I think that I think it's getting super specialized. And as I had pointed out some time before, Andy, if a revolution will happen sometime, I, I wonder how it will be. Um, I just fear it's it'll be difficult as as it gets more refined and polished unfortunately which is my fear
1: but I like what Kenny said about no empire leaves the stage does no empire just withdraws peacefully that's absolutely true Mm -hmm. Um, and it took two world wars to clean the British Empire off and create the space. Two world wars. Now one, two. And it's going to require a world war for this for the question of who will run the globe or be the big power on the globe in 2050. That will only get resolved in war. And, you know, the New World Order people don't think that. They think that China and the United States are, are behind the scenes collaborating or there's where the Rockefellers are gonna play off both sides. Maybe, but now we have nuclear weapons. Do you think that gets contained? Do you think that gets controlled? I don't I don't think I don't think they do have control of this thing. I do think they collaborate when they can, but they compete when they must. And that means this system is not being controlled by anyone. And that's the part where people like myself and Jake or myself and the people who claim the new world order vision are different is, is they think that there's a large cabal. I mean, they're not talking about five people that are running this show and who have it all planned out and they do have plans. U S capitalists have plans. Chinese capitalists have plans, but they are plans of competing with one another and they're not prepared to share.
0: All right, well, that lively discussion with a few interruptions. <laughs> I think we've given alternative to what, you know, most people talk about, which I appreciate the conversation with you both. Yeah. Right. What's Left is a weekly political discussion challenge in the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes, wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what s com. You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you fancy anything you've heard here, please share your favorite episode, rate, review, um, turn on your notifications, subscribe to any of our platforms on Spotify, um, Stitcher, um, on iTunes Podcast, Google Play, um, BitChute, uh, Libri, L-B-R-Y, Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, YouTube or Telegram. And if you would like to give us some feedback about something you've heard or some, suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Varca, we co-host Andy Lipson and uh, Kenny Cepeda. Uh, we'll see you all next time.